This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. What's happening, everybody? Coast to Coast Podcast here with you. I am Joey Powell. We are brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt and Congruity HR. Right, Coast to Coast Podcast, back at you here from InsideCarolina.com. I'm Joey Powell, your host. Sean Moran, Terrell McMillan with me as always. And we are now officially in basketball season. And as I say that, the Tar Heels coming off a two-win week where they uh, dismantled Tennessee in the first half and then had a really, really galvanizing comeback at home against Florida State in the second half uh, against a 14-point deficit they had. Uh, Florida State really looking like uh, world beaters in the first half with their three-point shooting. I think the biggest thing that stands out to me is, guys, this season is 20% over with. So <laughs> I know we I know we talk a lot on the show about, you know, when do we know something about this team? Uh, when do we feel like we have a read on them? What are trends? What are aberrations? We've now got eight games of real live data to look at. And I think I'll open it up with just a little bit of eye test conversation. Uh, and I'll let, uh, Sean, I'll let you respond first. I saw a team this past week that when you add this week to what they did prior to in the, I guess, the first six games of the season, you've now got a team that is showing different ways to win and showing strengths in many different areas. And if I'm North Carolina fans, I see subscribers, people that genuinely like light blue, whatever. That's a lot to be happy about. There's definitely a lot to be happy about. And I think given we're having this conversation now coming off the big Tennessee win at home and then really gutting out what really was a huge Florida state win, even though Florida state from a rankings perspective doesn't feel like a big win, just uh, kind of sandwiched between two, two big opponents uh, getting down as they did and and coming back. It really was a, a testament to the team and, and a big win. I think after, after the Bahamas, uh, the Villanova loss, hurt so much because it did feel a lot like the losses from last year. Uh, but I think yep. watching, watching both the games this, this week, you you've been able to see, sure. They're definitely going to go through scoring stretches where they're, they're struggling uh, as they did in, in the first half, but the ceiling in terms of the ball movement, my favorite, our, our favorite word collectively as a, as a group ball movement uh, and the, the ability to score is, is definitely higher than it has been in years past. And I think, the offensive numbers bear that out where they're currently ranked in Kempom number five. Does that stay that high? Probably not, but I think it, it does show that, Hey, this, this can be a top tier 
offense as well as in synergy, uh, which we we talked about on the message boards earlier this week, where they're in the 90th percentile in the country. And you have to go back uh, really to the I think the 2016 it was that was in that in that uh, category. So right now, 20 percent through the season, I, I think you can say offensively that they're drastically improved. Um, I think, you know, especially having that Tennessee win uh, as a legit quad one win, no matter mm-hmm. how the Yukon and Kentucky games go, as well as the ACC games. I think that was also the big stressor the past few years is, hey, if you're not getting these out-of-conference wins, where are they going to come from? And the Arkansas game was, if they had lost that, I think everybody would have been ready to jump off a cliff. So that was a big win in itself. But I think that's more of like the Ohio State and Michigan wins in the past, where the Tennessee was a big one. And, you know, thankfully the schedule had those two as home games this year versus last year being road games at Indiana, at Virginia Tech. So I think that everything has worked out well um, in in terms of heading into UConn and and Kentucky. So there's so eight games done. That means there's 23 games left in the regular season and there's at least one game left in ACC tournament. So guaranteed 24 games left, eight are done. So really, you know, quite uh, I, I guess a fourth of the season is done or the regular season at least <clears throat> so i think it's a good time for us to gather joey you you can bring the fried chicken and the mashed potatoes uh sean you can bring the green beans and we'll have a repast because we need to mm-hmm. bury yeah we, we need to bury last season we need to have a home going service mm-hmm. for it let it go <laughs> let it go it's done mm-hmm. it's over it is finished this is a different team i like having you mm-hmm. underneath it for the track <laughs> it's a different team like I, and i think we all have a natural inclination to compare it because that's all we have to compare it to and as long as rj davis and armando baycott are on our team they, they're kind of the face of it people will revert back to last year but i think rj said it like it, it's time to end talking about last year because this is a completely different team they play differently they're they're constructed differently um they're coached differently and it, it, you can see that some of the things that you maybe were worried about with with that team carrying over haven't carried over now this new team has its own set of challenges this is going to have to overcome but i do think we're at the point now eight games in um a couple of big wins a, a come from behind win a close loss where you can say all right the issues that plagued unc the last two years are not going to plague them this year how can they move forward with this group and what are the issues that are going to plague them this year how can you identify them and what can they do to solve them moving forward? I, I think that's where we're at, is that we can proclaim officially, you know, let's let's make it an official coast-to-coast declaration, Joey, uh, today on uh, <clears throat> Sunday, December 3rd, that last season's over. The season is hereby dead, in the ground, buried, uh, and the headstone's been placed. Look, man, I, I saw people on social, and, and I get it, fans are going to fan, um, and I think that's what makes inside Carolina as a community, fun at times. But after the Villanova game, I think a lot of folks had that natural inclination to here we go again. A lot of people, and, and again, I saw it on my timeline. People were just blowing up like this is the same as it ever was, and it's just more of blah, blah, blah. And, and so what I've seen since that loss to Villanova, which again, a lot of things had to go wrong for UNC to lose that game. I think it, we have the, the ability to look back on now. The Tar Heels came back and beat an Arkansas team um, that, again, they had one guy going nuts. Uh, An Arkansas team who, talking about quad one wins earlier, Sean, 
knowing what they did uh, at home against Duke, that might turn that into a quad one win for a majority of the season unless they totally just tank. So seeing that and then seeing what North Carolina did against Tennessee uh, and against Florida State, uh, it's giving the the folks who still want to grind an axe against Hubert Davis, man, it's making those folks feel some kind of way. Now, that's not to say there aren't still things that can concern you about this team. We saw that in the way that they got behind against Florida State or even in the way that, you know, they got up so big against Tennessee and Tennessee came back. Something about that Tennessee game I want to drill into, though, with both you guys. Sean, you're a stats guy. I can only imagine how quickly you were pantsless seeing North Carolina's offensive efficiency in that first half against Tennessee. Because I'll be honest, I don't know if North Carolina plays that well on offense, if anybody can beat them. Uh, Sherelle, you've seen a lot of ball. Am I am I exaggerating here, or is, was was I being to use one of your phrases that you hate? Am I being a prisoner of the moment? Because that was some clean offense, man. Uh, even if defense wasn't there, they that offensive rating. Sean, what was the offensive rating for that first half? Do you remember? I'm sure you know. You probably spray painted it on your wall somewhere. <laughs> nah, I think uh, I think uh, the ge- the general Ben Sherman had it at 1.6 points per possession, which is at, just out of out of the world. Uh, that's obviously, like, it, that's like Steph Curry Warriors type numbers, man. That's that's insane. Obviously, it came came back down during the the second half, but still finished at one point three two, which is their uh, their their highest points per possession, scoring a hundred against what was uh, Ken Palm's number one rated defensive team. But I think offensively, yes, the ceiling the ceiling is high. I think you know we went the whole summer talking about what does the starting lineup look like. Uh, I think we were a little surprised early on what it was, but I think at the same time, each game you've seen Elliot could. Elliot Cadeau grow a little bit more in terms of, you know, something he did in the Villanova game, he's not doing in the Arkansas game. And each mm-hmm. game has been uh, just a little bit more, hey, he's he's putting things together uh, to go with the out-of-the-world passing. But I think with him in the starting lineup uh, and, and just playing and continuing to get better and more acclimated to the college system, it, it just makes life easier for, for everybody. And, and that's no... No surprise, but I think that's that's leading to to cleaner shots, uh, shots that are that are open, uh, and I think it's been contagious in terms of the ball movement and looking for looking for better shots versus a, a good shot. You know, last year I think it you know it was a struggle at times just uh, watching uh, some of the one on one or bad shots that you're getting at the end of the end of the shot clock. Right now they're getting good looks early on, and I think that can that can continue. Um, I, I don't think Harrison Ingram is going to stay at that uh, out of, out of the world three point percentage that already came down. He's still over 40%, but I think if he can still settle in that 35 plus percentage and Cormac, uh, you know, cause he still hasn't put it fully together getting, getting hurt. Um, you know, he still has some room. And I think the, the one guy that needs to pick it up the most is, is Withers um, in, in terms of kind of moving, you know, being a little quicker in, in everything. And if, if they can get him, whether it's off the bench or in his minutes, once again, not averaging 15, but if they can get efficient play from him, then then it, it makes it a, a legit, I mean, it's already a legit offense, but I think that's just one of the missing missing pieces for a complete uh, offense, no matter if there's foul trouble or, or other, other things going wrong. Cadeau isn't, you know, obviously he's not a, a scorer in the same vein, but the way he's kind of ascending, it reminds me of Kobe White a lot in 2018. If you remember, uh, you know, Kobe, I don't think, he, did he start 
No, uh, Seventh Wood started the first game because Joel Berry was. No, I'm sorry, I'm confusing my ears. Anyway, Kobe did start, and so the first couple of games were. I think there were some turnovers. It was a little off and on. His shot wasn't quite going the way he wanted to. And then um, during Thanksgiving, I think it was Black Friday, they played Texas, and he just went off. I think he had 32 or 33. And from there, he just kept getting better and kept getting better. And I think for Cadeau, it's going to be kind of the same thing where the first four or five games, he was like, you know, feeling it out, seeing how fast it was, seeing how big the guys were, um, trying to understand when when to you know, try to get to the rim and, and how to get guys the ball, all those things that just take reps to do. He, he got them in those first few games. And now I think you're going to start seeing ascending even even faster. And, and his his. Uh, his learning curve is not very steep. Like he's 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 kind of where he needs to be already, and I think North Carolina is going to benefit from him because they haven't seen him really as a scorer yet. And um, while his jump shot, I, I think our favorite broadcaster Jimmy Dykes kept saying that his shot uh, it's not going in, but it's not broken, and it's not. Uh, I think it's just a confidence thing. And once he gets a little more confidence, to just say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot this. I think uh, it's just going to make him uh, that much tougher and make UNC's offense. Um, you know, that more potent. And to Sean's point, Cormac Ryan is a 35, 36 career shooter. and He's shooting 29%. So I think the hope is that obviously uh, Harrison Ingram is not going to stay at 43.5, but if they can meet at 37, you know, that does a lot for UNC's offense and, and keeps it going. And we haven't even mentioned RJ Davis yet when we're talking about offense, Joey. I hold mean, that, he hold had, that thought. He's had a, what, 107 points, points over three games. 100, 107 yeah. points in three games, yeah. Uh, so you were mentioning Elliot Cadeau and, and his confidence. I think we may have seen, and I want to you know mark the tape here, John, when you're producing this. I think we may have seen him having that light bulb go off of confidence in his offense in the second half of that Florida State game because there were three possessions where he absolutely – and again, keep in mind, Florida State was leading the league in steals – Florida State has traditionally always been a bunch of six, seven to six, nine dudes with long wingspans that just disrupt anything you want to do offensively, even if they have their warts, right? I think we saw in the second half of that game when North Carolina went on their run and Elliot Cadeau realized, holy crap, I can get to the rim when I want to. And he was doing it and going with either hand from either side of the of the of the lane. That is a big red flag, holy-ish moment if I'm a team trying to now game plan for North Carolina. Fully, fully agree with that. And I think those baskets that he, that he did have, what, what he can do gives UNC something they haven't had in, in years. And that point guard that has that first step um, and has that ability to beat his defender without utilizing the pick and roll, without utilizing, uh, you know, numerous dribbles. He can, you know, one is the first step or two, it's a quick crossover and he's, he's into the lane. Uh, he wasn't really finishing early on, but once again, I think that was going to come as he started to, to learn the angles, learn how to use his body a little bit more. And I think that ability just makes shots, uh, you know, for the others that much easier. But it also gives in the first half with Florida State size and athleticism, at least I was saying, well, here's here's the type of team UNC can struggle with, given some of their size issues, as well as from an athletic perspective. and. I think that was uh, bothering them in the first half. And to have that that ability where it doesn't matter who's going to guard him the rest of the season from a size, size, strength, speed, he has that ability to get by the man. And just having that can take off the pressure from 
RJ Ingram, you know, even Armando down low to get him some easy baskets where he's not solely, you know, even if he's going against, you know, a seven foot chop blocker, he's going to still be able to get maybe more easier looks or dump offs than he would have, uh, you know, in previous, previous years. Sorry. I was, <laughs> I was trying to make a couple of notes while you were talking, Sean. So the next thing I want to kind of throw out on the table for us to discuss, this was the hot topic, I think in the second half, North Carolina pressed more in it to my eyes pressed more in that second half than I've ever seen them press in a single game since I've been watching Carolina basketball. And that's a long time. Uh, a lot of people were saying, Hey, Dean used to do it with, uh, you know, with, with, um, God, I just, just throwing out some, some, some names in the seventies of, of, you know, he used to use those guys and press a lot. I don't know that he ever would have done it as long as you, cause Hubert Davis essentially did it for 15 straight game minutes of a second half. I think fans are like, well, why don't they do that all the time? Or they need to do that more. A couple of things I want to throw out for folks who, who want to see that more. One, if you start doing it all the time, you run the risk of getting burnt for layups and dunks on the other end. Two, you're going to wear your guys down. Three, other teams are going to learn how to break a press. If Florida State had any like semblance of preparation that North Carolina was going to do it, they probably would have been a little better at breaking the press than they were. So all that said, that change by Hubert Davis and calling that press in the second half not only stopped what Florida State was able to do in getting these open looks from the outside, but it brought energy on both ends of the floor. So what you started seeing was guys going in, getting engaged, making stops, deflecting the ball, just being more overall active as opposed to, you know, being active on one of the floor, and the offense came with it. Sherelle, I want you to check me on that. Is that the first time you can remember North Carolina ever pressing that much for that extended of a period of time? And, and, and if it is if it is not the first time, man, tell me when, because I'll happily be wrong. Yeah, I'm sure it happened. It didn't happen that uh, often under, under Roe Williams, I think. So that rules out the last, you know, 17 years, basically. Um, I try to forget those through three years before. And then with Coach Smith and Coach Guthrie, as I was young, so... Um, not that I can recall, I, I know they've done it in spurts, but a, again, like you said, never, um, for that long. And I, I think, uh, one thing that I really liked about it, obviously the changing defense, but uh, that's just scouting because Florida state, you know, blew a lead, a huge lead, uh, the game before. And we know that ball handling isn't exactly the forte of the team because they don't have Elliot Cadeau or RJ Davis or, uh, a, a Bobby Frazier or Ty Lawson or anyone that can handle the ball and get them into their offense consistently is something that they've struggled with. I think uh, they have Worley, you know, playing some point guard, but, you know, he's, I don't know if he's a, really a true point guard. So it was knowing your opponent, it was pulling it out at the right time, because if you wait and do that at the nine or eight minute mark, I don't know if there's enough time for UNC uh, to get back in the game. So it, it, it was good. I, I liked it. It was a great move. Um, obviously it worked and it got everything energized. And it was interesting because, uh, I was actually at a, a taping of Frosty the Snowman uh, during that second half. So I had to listen to it on the radio. And so I got home and I watched it on the radio. It was just like, what is happening? You know, because it was, it was, I was listening to John's Angel, um, shouts to him. And it was just like, there's a Carolina score and there's a Florida State skill, steal and uh, Florida State turnover. And there's another steal. And there's a Cadeau layup. And there's a Davis layup. And there's a Cadet layup. And there's a Baycott dunk. And before you know it, he's like, well, they went from down 14 to, to up 14 in a matter of, you know, a few minutes. So um, that ability uh, to do that, I think also 
puts in question a little bit what we've heard from people around the program about the athleticism deficit because it sure didn't look like it against a, a lot of other athletic players uh, for Florida State. So a, a good move by Hubert Davis. I don't think it's going to be something they use a lot, but they used it at the right time. So uh, hang on, Sean. I want you to uh, ask, ask right over this. Two things come to mind numerically. North Carolina went on, a, I think, a 22 to nothing run. Um, they went and then it was a 31 to one run over that period, which essentially just turned the game around. And then I think whatever the math was, it was something, you know, 41 to 13, whatever it was to turn it into a 28 inverse to go from 14 down to 14 up. Uh, all of it triggered again by what that press did to Florida State and then triggering UNC's offense. Go ahead, John. I think, uh, one going back last year to the game at Madison Square, Ohio State, where they're down, I think, 18 in the, the second half. They they brought the press out, and they were able to slowly, slowly climb back. I remember having these conversations. Hey, do we think they're going to bring the press out more? I feel they did one game a little bit right afterwards, and then then he never really saw it saw it again. Um, so I think to your point, both Joey and Sherell, it's not going to be all the time, but I think they, they do have it in their wheelhouse, uh, but hopefully it doesn't make them complacent where they're saying, Hey, we're down 15. We're just going to roll out the press and, you know, we're going to, we're going to come back because uh, you know, it, it is, you know, extremely hard to come back from those, those double digit deficits. But I think it was more when I was watching the Tennessee game, uh, UNC clearly the aggressor on offense in that first half. And then the second half begins and really for the first five minutes, you know, they're going back and forth. UNC was able to extend the lead, but when you're down that much, your whole mindset changes almost into a effort mode where all of a sudden you're the more, you're the, you're the aggressor and the team with the lead, you know, are they just trying to waste clock? Are they trying to adapt? Um, and then you, you saw it in, in reverse with what UNC was doing, but I feel it doesn't always have to be when they're down 15, I think going forward, and I would love to get your guys' take on this, but more just in terms of who is dictating the style of play and or, or who is being more aggressive, I would love to see them um, sometimes just bring it out where they can where they can become the aggressor, or they can more dictate what's happening during the game versus even if they have a lead, just trying to hold the lead. Because I think going back two years, I love watching that Marquette game and even the Baylor game before uh, Brady, you know, Brady got kicked out where UNC built the big lead, but they stayed the aggressor in that second half and didn't give up big runs. I know that basketball is a game of runs, but I'd love to see the press used more just from a, to dictate uh, the style and, and, and how the, I think the mental makeup of the game is going. You know, it's funny. You mentioned the Baylor game. That That's kind of what Carolina did to Georgia Tech, what Baylor did to UNC. Um, I had someone text me and, and basically say, like, I've never seen a team melt under pressure the way Florida State did on Saturday. And I was like, I can remember one a couple of years ago uh, in the NCAA tournament in the second round. But, you know, obviously they, they found a way to hang on and win. But to your point, Sean, I think it's anal analogous to kind of in football when, uh, you know, offensive coordinators say we need to change the tempo. So what they do, they go tempo, they get a first down and stuff starts rolling downhill. And, you know, that, that's probably not a bad thing, especially for whatever reason, I, I think the team was a little sleepy, maybe after just, such a big win uh, against Tennessee on Wednesday. They had a lot of energy. Short turnaround, first ACC game in a, on a random first Saturday in December. Maybe that has something to do with it. But 
in situations like that, maybe that's a, a time where you can bring it out and kind of, you know, uh, create your own energy through the press. So I, you know, I think it's a good idea to just deploy it like you would any other play and, and use it for a couple of minutes just to get yourself going and becoming the attacker. And I think you also saw North Carolina pressing everything, right? A lot of times it's only after a, it's only after a made basket. They were doing after misses, after makes, after, you know, sideline out of bounds. I mean, they were just, it, it became a, all right, let's go do this. Um, I also think that that doesn't happen if you don't have some pretty savvy guys. Uh, I, I think, you know, one of the things you heard about Elliot Cadeau, regardless of what class he was in prior to this year, was that he just always knows what the right play is to make. Uh, I think you saw that both offensively and defensively during that stretch. You saw uh, R.J. Davis being an old head, doing what R.J. does, and just kind of being all over the floor, even with his size deficiency. And you saw the athleticism that I think everybody has been waiting for uh, with, with Seth Trimble. The, the bucket, I think, that tied it maybe when Trimble caught the – like went in for a layup, got himself backwards, and went ahead and finished the layup real strong backwards. I, that, that's one of those – you don't see that a lot unless it's like an NBA 2K and the you know your player gets stuck midair or something, right? Um, so I think you had a combination of guys that really understand ball, uh, and, and then also guys who have seen so many reps, as we've talked about with our Armando and RJ. Um, let's go ahead and get to RJ. Sherelle, you touched on it a little bit earlier. The clip that he's on right now in scoring is is so. I want to say it's a little bit overlooked because of the things that the rest of the team has been doing and the fact that this has been a a, a new roster for the most part. But I don't think you can you can say enough about how he's getting his buckets, what he's doing, whether it's in transition, whether it's hitting threes, whether it's guarded jump shots. His jump shot right now looks more confident than I think I've seen anybody on the UNC roster for three or four years uh, when he lets it go. And that, that might even go back to like, uh, gosh, Cam Johnson, you know, Cam Johnson's last year when he just, every time he released, you thought it was going in. RJ looks incredibly confident right now. Sherelle, I'll leave it to you to, to elaborate on, on whether you ever thought you would see this savvy of a guy when you were watching him, you know, play at, uh, at Stepanak. Oh, I mean, I, Oh, fine. I'll toot my own horn. I mean, I said it four years ago. I was like, he's going to stay four years and he'll be a top 10 all-time scorer at UNC. You can go back and check the tape. But I, I think uh, he had to average like 16.8 this season to get there, and he's well above that right now. But it's funny because, like you said, Joey, it, it is almost forgotten um, that he plays is playing so well that he's scoring at such a high clip because you start to come to expect it from him because he's delivered so many times over the years. I, I think what it is now is uh, he's in a backcourt that is um, the best situation for him. Not saying that the last ones weren't good, but this is the best possible situation for him to be in because he has a point guard who's going to do whatever it takes to find him. And uh, Sean put up a story, but the numbers when he's catch and shoot versus off the dribble, I mean, it tells you everything you need to know about why Elliot Cadeau is so important to the offense, but it also tells you that R.J. Davis could score. And that's what everybody's been saying for him since he committed to UNC uh five years ago <clears throat> is that this kid can score he can score he's tough he's a great rebounder for a guard you're seeing all that and i i do think there was some motivation from some of the preseason lists and rankings and all that stuff that didn't include him maybe the way they should have i think you're seeing that and the other thing is you know if you take away i know you say take away but if you look at 
when he was healthy last year versus when he wasn't and assume that he's at full health now. This isn't that different from what he was doing when he was at full health last year. It's just, a, like I said, a new team, um, a differently constructed team. And he's needed to be the leading scorer. He's needed to be the guy. And so far, he's been able to do it. One last thing that I think is funny, and then, Sean, I'll, I'll let you go. But if you look at Kim Palm, they have uh, comparisons to players of the past based on your numeric profile that particular year. And the number one, uh, I guess, closest player to have the numbers that R.J. Davis has so far this season, 2018 Joel Berry. So I think that says a lot about what he is, who he is, and, and what he's accomplishing right now. And and for Sorrell, I think you can go back, uh, I think it was around 4th of July 2020, uh, in terms of R.J. getting ready to go into that freshman year, talking about, hey, he's not going to be a one-and-done guy like what we thought Caleb Love was going to be, but he's going to be around four years, and he's probably going to be finished in that top 10 in scoring because he's going to come out of the gate freshman year and score. And I think freshman year, he didn't play as, as maybe we had projected, but I think you've seen that over the last, last few years. And I think just in terms of what he's, he's doing, the number, the catch and shoot number, I think makes all the sense in the world, given what we, we saw last year where there's some, some deeper shots that he was taking, which weren't hitting at a, at a great clip as well as uh, you know, some that are, are more off the dribble, which he can hit. But uh, I, I think we're seeing him, play off the ball where he can he can get in better scoring opportunities rather than being the primary ball handler. And I think we've we talked about it a handful of times throughout the spring and summer leading into this was for him this year, almost a Marcus Howard light in, in terms of him being able to score his size and he can still handle the ball, but it, that's not his primary responsibility. And I think he's, I mean, he's been playing tremendous, uh, from a numbers wise, he's still only at 34 and a half percent. So I think that's going to continue to to go up. But, uh, you know, from a scoring perspective, 18 to 20 plus points per game. I think that's, you know, I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, obviously, we're only eight games in. But right now, the highest offensive rating of his career right now, the highest effective field goal percentage of his career right now, the highest true shooting percentage of his career. Um, the highest free throw percentage so far. Obviously, again, there's more games to play, but this tells you, you know, the level at which he's playing right now. I think the big thing that that fans, I see subscribers, people that are listening to the show are probably going to take away is the fact that you've got R.J. Davis, who is doing something that has only been done a handful of times in UNC history with the scoring pace that he's on. And it's something that it's just not talked about because of what you've seen out of Harrison Ingram. I, I remember, you know, folks actually saying on social, and shout out to Tommy Ashley, I think he said it on one of the, the post-game shows the other day, that, you know, Harrison Ingram might be the best player on this team. I think you've said that, Sherelle. I think there's there's some folks that are thinking that Harrison Ingram might be the best best player on this team, and yet R.J. Davis is getting, you know, a 27 a night and has turned into an absolute bucket. Um, so let's let's pivot a little bit. I think during this little stretch, we've seen something else that, has helped to bury the ghost from last season. Uh, we've seen guys still getting minutes. If you want to really analyze Hubert Davis's use of the bench, uh, you could probably say that maybe he did find his his iron six uh, the second half of that Florida State game. I think that remains to be seen. But what you are seeing is that even a guy like Zayden High, who only played a, a couple of minutes against Florida State while he was in there, is giving you energy. Uh, Jalen Washington, while he has some liabilities you know, moving laterally and, and, and guarding right now, 
he's still not hurting you when he's in the ballgame. Sherelle, I want to ask you, what do you think that does for Hubert Davis moving forward? Because you've always been one that has explained it in the sense that Hubert Davis deals in a currency of trust, right? I hope I'm not messing up your words there, but I think that's the way you've always kind of put it. It seems like right now he's got a bunch of guys that he can trust, and that that is going to really serve this team well unless things go sideways and somebody really pisses him off in practice. How do you feel like that might set them up going down the, the other tough games before the end of the, the calendar year here? Well, I don't think that's just Hubert Davis, to be honest. I think that's all coaches. Like Their job is on the line. If, if they can't trust you to do what they ask, they're not going to play you considering you know all the stakes. So um, not just Hubert Davis, but yeah, obviously – you know, different guys have the trust, but I think what it is, different guys have the trust for different situations and different um, special moments, so to speak. So, like, I think Jalen Withers has the trust, even if that may be eroding some, to be, you know, the guy who comes in and grabs a, a defensive rebound and who can get a block and get a stop. I don't know if he has the trust right now to catch the ball and turn, pivot, and, and go to the basket and make a move. I don't know if that trust is there, but he's trusted right now to be a defensive specialist. I think. Seth Trimble, we thought entering season, was going to be trusted to be the defensive specialist, but I think he's showing he's earned trust as a defensive player and also someone who can finish in the fast break, who can hit a timely shot, who can you know make free throws when needed, who can do just a few things to help affect winning. And in the end, that's what you want is, is guys who affect winning. So if Zayden High comes in, I'm sure there's something that Hubert Davis sees it. He knows that Zayden High is going to do X, Y, or Z thing while he's in the game to help you and see win. So, I, it, you know, if you have five or six guys, I, again, my belief is you need eight in a college on a ba- college basketball team. So I, I think you can be really effective with eight. And then after that, you kind of get into what do you need at what specific moment? And that's what this roster affords. You know, Hubert Davis is he can have specialty players to come in and do certain things when the team needs it. Eight gives you versatility. I think that's the that's the point you were you're you're getting at is that if you've got eight, you've got some versatility at a couple of different positions. Whether it means a backup post, a guy that can play four or five, an extra winger that can be that lockdown defender, um, all of those things, which I think UNC has to a certain degree now that they have not had or have not been able to trust in the past. Sean, we talked earlier in the year about kind of the fact that UNC and I hate to use a hate to use a football term here, but UNC is a little multiple in the way they can deploy a couple of these different guys. Uh, Cormac Ryan, you know, hurt himself against Villanova, didn't play against Arkansas. And, and he's actually right now not even being relied on to hit a lot of big shots. Uh, they can still, as he gets back to full health, can still use him as a good defender against a player like a Dalton Connector or something like that. I, help our listeners understand why it matters to have that sort of multiple uh, you know, ability that, that Shrill's talking about, whether it's depth or or the, the ability to use a couple of different guys. Why, why does that matter? And if you want to put it in context of last year, feel free, because we've already acknowledged that that, that monster is, is no longer with us. Well, I think for Cormac Ryan, he, he's still, you know, that I, I wish he didn't have that injury, but luckily he came back pretty quick because he was, he was playing extremely well in that, in that Villanova game. Uh, and I think from an offensive perspective, that's still to come where he's going to be hitting those, those big threes, pulling up off the dribble. Uh, but defensively, that was an area that we, we talked about. Cause I think even looking at, at UConn, you start to try to say, okay, Hey, they have, they have some, uh, you know, another team with big guards, who's going to guard who, and you're looking at Ingram who's, who's taken up um, some big assignments already. But I think you're also going to be able to see Cormac uh, picking up whether, 
maybe he's not starting, uh, but switching on when, when Ingram goes out. So I think he does have not leaky black potential, but he is a strong defender. But more in terms of what Sherelle was talking about, about, you know, getting that, you need that at least three, three, three member team off the bench. And with Trimble playing really well offensively and defensively and, and Washington, I think that's the thing a lot of people love about college basketball, which will be taken away with the, the ease of, of transferring. But I think when you have guys that didn't play a lot last year and they're willing to, to stick it out at least a little bit and you get to start, you start to see that freshman to sophomore year jump, um, even though they're not starting to me, that's still one of the more exciting things about, about college and, and seeing that improvement. So I've loved watching the confidence. I mean, even Seth Trimble hitting two threes against, against Arkansas, the way he's been able to finally show that explosive leaping ability, which uh, we were all waiting to see last year and never really got to, got to see it. Um, you know, and then Washington playing well, both offensively and defensively. I think a Tennessee game, he came in and fired up the three pointer in my head. I was like, you know, that's, that's not, what are you doing? That's not a great shot. He knocks it down for, for his, you know, three for three on the year. So both of those guys, once again, not setting the world on fire, but I think set it, seeing that, that big jump that they've made has been exciting uh, as well as gives that overall versatility for when foul trouble happens, injuries happen, guys don't have it going. You can, you can insert a few different things and you can count on people to, to produce on either off the offensive or defensive end. Versatility is so key. And I think is one of the big things that this team has lacked in the past, at least reliable versatility. And when I think reliable versatility, I think Johnny t-shirt, uh, Johnny T-shirt is absolutely your reliable, versatile haberdasher for North Carolina gear. If you need to get some new UNC gear, I mean, you had two chances this past week to go see Johnny T-shirt in person. You know, both before the 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 Tennessee game and before the Florida State game. So, if you miss that, I've got great news for you. You can still go to JohnnyT-shirt.com on them their interwebs, Al Gore's internet, and check out all of the wares that they have for you. There's a certain holiday coming up at the end of the month and, and folks might tell you that you only have like three weeks of shopping left. Folks might say that. I'm not going to say that you have three weeks of shopping left and you should go to Johnny T-Shirt, but some people may tell you that. Johnny T-Shirt right there on Franklin Street uh, in Chapel Hill. JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Premium subscribers to Inside Carolina. Know the drill. Extra 10% off. That means if they're running a sale, you can use that 10% on the sale item and get an extra on the top of it. Who doesn't like extra, right? Uh, Johnny T-Shirt, big friends of ours, big supporters of this here show and all of Inside Carolina's content. And y'all, I just want you to support them the same way they've supported us. Real talk. Uh, take a break. Let some national ads drop in here real quick. We'll be right back. Talk a little bit more and, and wrap up the show on our first of the season's weekly Coast to Coast podcast on InsideCarolina.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Appreciate you guys being a part of the show. Thanks for being here. I'm Joey Powell for Inside Carolina. This is Coast to Coast Podcast. Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran with me as always. All right. As great as this feels for, for our subscribers and, and Carolina fans right now, there are still some things that can concern the fan base. I, I'm not talking about, you know, if you've got an ax to grind about a coaching change, whatever. I'm talking about there are some flaws that this team may have. I think we saw some of them both in this this past week. Uh, you saw against Tennessee where um, Tennessee started kind of clawing back and North Carolina was not as sharp offensively. I think that's a byproduct of Tennessee still being a good team, even though they were down by you know two dozen or whatever it was. Uh, something that I think was was rather alarming against Florida State was this North Carolina team with the offensive weapons that they have uh, went a good period of the game without scoring. I think it almost got up to like seven game minutes, eight game minutes, maybe even longer where they got no field goals. And, and that's the type of thing that I think when folks start thinking about past seasons where North Carolina had troubles when they couldn't score the basketball. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, a close game ended up with them being down a dozen. Trill, why should folks not worry about that? But also, why is that something the Tar Heels definitely need to address, or it could become, you know, a, a an Achilles heel a little bit? Well, I think it, the more that, uh, and if you haven't checked out Adrian Atkinson's kind of numbers last week, I was shocked at the R.J. Davis, Elliot Cadeau defensive pairing and, and what the numbers were there. Um, so <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's not as as bad as we thought it was going to be. But in general, I, I do think this team has some defensive limitations. And so you're going to have to have that offense churning at high levels for long periods of time. The, the best defense you, this particular UNC team has is its offense. Uh, and so they can't go those stretches without you know points. Like the Tennessee game, the last field goal UNC made was the R.J. Davis three with six minutes and 57 seconds left. And then there were, I think, multiple stretches against uh, Florida State where they went you know 352 or 333 without points or without a field goal um, as the competition continues to ramp, or if you don't have a 24 point lead, you just can't afford that to happen. And again, I think the best defense for this North Carolina team, similar to how, and I hate to invoke this because people are going to read it the wrong way, but similar to how 2009 was pre-tournament, it was just, it wasn't like they were the defensive juggernaut before the tournament. It was just like, well, they're going to score 90. They don't really need <laughs> to play engaged defense the whole time this team doesn't have that team ceiling so i think in order for uh them to to continue to play well against these good teams the offense is going to have to churn which will help the defense you know kind of come along slowly and hopefully get better as, as the season goes on because they're not they don't have a leaky black on this team they don't have somebody who can just erase other people so they're going to need to do it collectively as a team and kind of you know play angles play good position defense rebound positionally and kind of those old school um old school way of playing because they don't have the overwhelming athleticism to, athleticism to overcome it sean i'm gonna let you uh let you get in the kitchen here for a second one of the things i think that north carolina has been able to lean on when they've had those scoring droughts is the fact that 
they've been a good free throw shooting team so far. Uh, I, I hate to think about what it would have been if they would have missed a majority of their free throws, you know, while they were on that drought against Florida State. Um, I think they're, you know, they're averaging 22 a game, uh, but they're making about 78% of them. What other stats have you seen this year that have surprised you uh, that you think might actually help erase some deficiencies that that they're trying to overcome and grow out of right now? Well, I, you, you hit on free throw percentage uh, right now, 78%. If, you know, if that comes down or they, they do have a few games, especially on the road, you know, they haven't, haven't played a road game. They've had two games under, under 70%. Armando has been lights out from the free throw line, but I still think in tight games, you know, can you, can you really count on him to be a 70, 70% uh, percent free throw shooter? I, I think are still questionable. So that, that is an area, but I think, once again, Elliot Cadeau has been struggling. I think that's an area for him, uh, especially if he has the ball in his hand where he's going to be able to need to step the line and hit big shots, which he did in, in Tennessee. But I think if he can get that percentage up, um, you know, I still think from a, a three point percentage uh, basis, you have RJ. Um, I think Cormac's going to come. Uh, Ingram has been there. Um, so if he can, if he can stay up, but it, it still goes to, you know, are they getting to the, that eight, eight plus number they did against Villanova and law. So, you know, not a, not a hundred percent success rate, but I think if they you know, are, you know what they're averaging at, right now, do you know what they're averaging right now per game? 7.8. So they're 7.8 and they've won seven out of their first eight games. So I, I think this is a perfect shining example of y'all listen to Sean, you make the eight and, and you know, the, the, the roof is off. Go ahead, man. I'm sorry to step up <laughs> on you. Um, the other thing offensively, because once again, there are going to be games where RJ struggles or teams really focus on, on RJ and maybe Ingram's a little off, et cetera. Right now they have four guys in double figures. I think Cadeau can, can step up. So who will be that guy off the bench? Um, you know, against Arkansas, Cadeau, or, uh, Trimble, Trimble stepped up, but who's going to be that guy that can step up when it's needed, but also continuing to get Armando easy looks down low. Uh, we know he's not Hakeem Olajuwon down in the post and he, he does, rely a lot on the dump offs, offensive rebounds, et cetera. But, you know, one of the, the, the main plays in the Tennessee game that, that sticks, even the, well, two plays, one in the Arkansas game, RJ sets a back screen for him. He gets the ball on that left block where he spends a majority of his time and he, he, he catches it down low where he just, he finishes easily. Same thing against Tennessee. Uh, Cadeau hits him with the, you know, lightning quick pass. He has a great, a great uh, uh, position under the basket easy, easy shot. So if they can get him, uh, you know, continue to find him those easy looks or those spots where he's in, uh, for a good look, I think that will continue to help him, uh, you know, play, play well versus Nova or some of these other games where they're going to have double team shot blockers, uh, things of that nature that will, that will hamper uh, him from offensive style. So once again, just trying to find easy shots, I think can, hopefully minimize that, but it, it will, it will come. It, it's going to come. And there's going to be probably a few podcasts where we're talking about a game where they did struggle to score uh, because more than, you know, you know, the whole team wasn't hitting. So it will come. And without the leaky black starter, they don't have the guy that can just shut down a Traymond Marks or a, a, a Dalton connect, et cetera. So I think from a defensive perspective of just being locked in a little bit more, I think we'll, we'll go a long way. I'm going to jump in, Sean, because you, as you talked about the offense, I started looking at numbers. So this is a, a section that we like to call reading off the internet. Um, but 
you look at the numbers on Kim Palm and you look at 2019, which was Roy Williams' last great team, the team that lost to Auburn in the uh, Sweet 16. You look at this year's teams and the numbers are obviously only three games, add that caveat. The numbers are, are pretty similar. Uh, that this, this team is uh, 72.6 um, possessions you know, per game. And in 2019, they were at 74.3. However, that 72.6 is the second highest since 2009. And the highest was 2019. We know those were two really good teams. The adjusted efficiency rating for 2024 is 119.6, which is fifth in the country right now. In 2019, it was 119.7, which was eighth in the country. And as you just go and look at effective field goal and free throw rate and all these numbers, and there's a lot of similarities between the two teams. Again, not saying it's going to end that way, not saying UNC is as good as that team ended up being. Uh, that team was a number one seed. Uh, but I, I think you start to see that maybe stylistically, this is how Hubert Davis has really wanted to play. And he has, I, I guess, the, the people he thinks are capable of it. And um, yeah, I, I just go back to that 2019 team because it was so much fun to watch. And that's where we are with this team. It's a fun watch. And I think what ultimately did that team in other than the flu was the fact that um, it just didn't have the size really. Um, I, I really say the overall size and athleticism to play with Auburn. Auburn had multiple guards and, you know, they had size on the inside. You just don't run into those type of teams all the time. So just something to note. I, I thought that was interesting if you look at those numbers and compare them. I think we, we talked about bearing last year, but it's really the last four years. Obviously, two years ago was a fantastic run that the team did have. But going into this, I, I jotted down a few numbers. It was 77, 52, 18, 51. Those were the ranks of UNC's team and Kempom from an offensive perspective. So you did have to go back to that 2019 team to have a really legit offense. So I know we did get to see that in late February and, and March two years ago with, with Brady going crazy, but I think really it's been the last four years of off, you know, team UNC teams that have just struggled offensively. So now that they are fifth, um, you know, it does speak back to that Carolina style that you're used to of, of really strong, efficient, efficient offenses. All right. Getting the read ready for the last part of the show. Um, Guys, I want to. I know we've gone very stat heavy here, uh, but I also recognize that's the that's the part of the pool that Sean loves the most. Um, let's do our our two cents. Brought to you by Congruity. This segment, as you have likely heard from Inside Carolina podcast, brought to you by our friends over at Congruity. Uh, their slogan is "Your business optimized." That's what they want to do. It's not just a, a creative slogan, you know, on a business card or a tagline. They really want to help you optimize your business. They want you to be able to focus on profitability the decisions that matter and not be bogged down by uh, things that may not get you as a business owner or a business leader excited. And those things are like HR benefits. So you've got to have a good HR practice. You've got to have strong benefits because you want to attract top talent. But you also know that you would be better spent trying to promote your organization than allowing those things to hold you down. So hand that off to Congruity. Let those dudes take care of it for you. They will absolutely put you in better hands. And if they can't help you, they'll tell you they can't help you. But if you want to get a free assessment from Congruity, they got this deal just for Inside Carolina folks. Congruity HR forward slash Tar Heels. Go check it out. See how they might be able to help your small or medium-sized business save some money and actually give you some time back so you can focus on your company goals, trajectory, your growth plan, 
strategic decisions, all that stuff that you would rather be doing. Check out Congruity. We appreciate their sponsorship of the show and of this segment, which we like to call Your Two Cents. All right, Sherelle, I'm going to let you go first. Throw two pennies at me, and they can have the Congruity logo on them or not. Either way, we got to get two pennies from you. Uh, the first one is uh, UNC's 2024 signees have all started their seasons. Uh, you can watch Ian Jackson and, and Jelly Fam on uh, Overtime. Jelly if Fam. Have if you have an Amazon subscription, their games are there. You can watch them on replay. Uh, James Brandon Link are off to a good start. They've been kind of all around the country. And then Drake Powell starts his season on Tuesday with his first home game being on Friday. That's the first penny. The second penny. So I'm sorry. I'm just going to. Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, if you, t- you talked about the recruits, if you got, if you're Jackson or, or Powell, I mean, how, how often are you texting Elliot Godot? Uh, you know, <laughs> man, I can't, wait to, I can't wait to play with you. Uh-huh next year um because if elliot plays with them i mean that just that that's gonna make them millions and millions more more dollars uh when it comes to their, their draft their draft slot how many how many times do you think they're just texting saying hey man great game no cap oh uh, i've i've got ian at home on the phone like brokering deals trying to figure out how to make this work just because <laughs> you know like you said it, they're gonna make it life so easy on him um or he's gonna make so life so easy for them for them um yeah. for them yeah second penny not basketball related. I'm sorry, audio audience. If you can't see this, but I'm whacking my finger at you, college football. No, 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 no. I'm whacking no, my no. finger at you. You should be ashamed of yourself. Just all, all sorts of of tragedy going on with that. And I know that's a first world problem, but yes, you're absolutely right, bro. That is uh that is despicable. Sean, give me your two cents, man. Uh first one, I think from a we've talked about the makeup of this team. And I think from a, a mental makeup, uh, you couldn't ask for a better, better collective group that's been put together. I think from a skill wise, athletic wise, we've always talked, Hey, you know, could they use another one of this or another one of that? But I think from a a mental perspective, uh, it's so much fun when UNC gets fouled and they're going to the line to see how engaged the team is at that huddle uh, in terms of, I think initially really, I think we all expected Cormac to be the leader in that definitely didn't think Ingram was going to be at the level that he is, but that's just elevated RJ, Armando, you know, Elliot, whoever that is, just in terms of how much talking is going on and how locked in they seem to be. And I, I think, um, you know, when you have guys that are returning that that have started for so many years and then you have older guys that have big names and pedigrees, it can be challenging. But I think, once again, going back to the mental aspect of what these guys wanted and everything ha- coming together, and then you have a five-star freshman coming in, but his best attribute is passing and making those guys better. So there's, you know, from an ego perspective, it really allows that everybody to put their ego together and collectively as a whole, I I think it's worked out extremely well in terms of uh, just how together and in sync they are. Um, And then, you know, really from a, a second perspective, going into UConn, I think from a Vegas lines perspective, you'll see UConn as a favorite. Uh, Kentucky, maybe the, the same thing. So uh, just based on that, they could easily lose the the next two games. I think going in, we had, I think I had predicted two and one of beating Tennessee, beating UConn, losing to Kentucky, but they could easily lose those two. And I think things will still be positive, but I still do think they should, you know, Connecticut is really good. They played tough at, at, at Kansas uh, on Friday night, but that's a game they should win, but it's going to be a, a tough one. And, I think in general, having got that Tennessee win and had that Arkansas win, et cetera, it, it does take the pressure off a little bit, but you yes. still want to see them compete yes. 
against a national championship that lost a few pieces. And if they are going to be a top 10 team, those are the games they, they need to win. But I think this, this week did, uh, it was a very positive, positive week to go, go two and O in terms of how they won both of those games. For sure. And that's not us being sunshine pumpers. Like that's for real. If North Carolina drops the game against, you know, the defending national champs in UConn uh, and, and loses against Kentucky, who is still a very athletic team. Um, not the end of the world because they've had a great start. Uh, I do think they've shown some things so far that this is not like Sherelle said earlier. We we had the repass uh, last year's over with. This is not last year, so don't slip back into those those mindsets. Um, and we've seen in this last week a lot of top twenty five teams lost this week. A lot. Um, Sherelle, before I get out of here, I'll give you. Uh, 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 are you okay with me giving Sean another second to to talk about UConn before we go? I mean, it's not sponsored oh, yeah. by congruity, but I don't know if you if it's okay with you if we let Sean have have the mic a little more. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, UConn's a great team. I I would say uh, we talked about it in the portal last year and and about the kind of player that everyone was looking at. But two of UConn's best players, one is a second time transfer from a not great school, and the other is a transfer from ECU. So East Carolina again. So ahead of time, when we get to portal season, don't judge somebody by where they're coming from. Judge them by what they are as a player. I think the for the UConn game one, really excited to see UNC back at Madison Square. But I think in terms of things I'm I'm looking for, one is gonna be Armando's matchup with a guy that's bigger than him. We know he's he's struggled in those situations before. And then two, who is gonna be matching up with Carabon when they're in transition and he's he's spotting up on the, the left or, or right hand wing. Cause I think if they can make life difficult for him, uh they'll they'll put themselves in a good good position. But if uh, all of a sudden he's he's coming wide open, you'll you'll be hearing me cursing from from LA in terms of covering covering that guy uh, instead of giving him wide open wide open threes. But looking forward to the the matchup, and um, you know we'll see how how it goes. And Kansas did some things against UConn. They they made things difficult for them um, for a good portion of that game. You know, just just despite how how things ended down the stretch. So, uh, fellas, as always, love doing these shows with you. I appreciate the the insights y'all bring y'all make me smarter uh, and hopefully our, our audience feels the same way if you're listening to this watching this please rate review like subscribe rate review like subscribe we appreciate it thanks for being a part of the coast to coast we appreciate you being a part of the inside carolina family for sherlock mill and for sean moran we appreciate johnny t-shirt for sponsoring congruity for sponsoring and john stigley for producing until next time i'm joey powell this has been the coast to coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.